privilege is all around you. It shows up in your clothes, where you live, the places you frequent, your network capital, and even how you spend your money. It's useless until you recognize it. So it's time to stop feeling guilty and figure out how to use your privilege to make an impact. Welcome to Guilty Privilege. Welcome back to a new episode of Guilty Privilege. My name is Amber Cabral, and today I have the privilege of talking to Baja Johnson. She is the head of Equality and Belonging at Gap Inc., and we are going to get into it. We talk colorism, we talk privilege, and we talk about some of the things that get in organizations' ways when they are trying to show up and make an impact in the world of DEI. Jump in. Baja. I am so glad you're here. I'm so, so happy to be here. And listen, we kind of coordinated a little bit. Listen, Look at we that. knew what the vibe was. Listen, We're just connected. The, vi- the vibe just happened. The vibe is always listen. happening with us. That's it. Love it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm so excited to talk to you because one of the things, um, as I was thinking about this podcast that I thought was really important, was to highlight that um, DEI folks are like relevant like we're in a a point of time right now where like just the conversations about DEI are so aggressive and there's this whole DEI is dying thing and so I thought it was really important on a show called Guilty Privilege that we highlight the privilege that DEI people have and why they're important and so that's also why I was glad to have you come on. Oh no I'm so excited you know you and I could talk about this all day so I'm excited to get into it. Listen now you did not start your career in DEI. I did not. Yeah so you started out in merchandising and I feel like you did a lot of things in merchandising that were still very much connected to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Can you tell me about the role that equity plays in merchandising? Oh, of course. Mm -hmm. You know, for those who don't know what merchandising is, merchandising or buying, in the simplest terms, our job is to be able to make sure that our stores have the best product at the right time for our customer. Right. Right. Best product, right time for the customer. Yeah. At the root of that, is a customer. It's mm-hmm. a person. And so the idea of equity is really rooted in people. So of course, my day job, before I think I even realized that my day job was rooted in equity, it was part of really being a winning merchant. And I always say the best merchants should be able to merchandise anything. Mm-hmm. And you and I grew up around the same time and you know that when we were younger, when we walked into stores, we didn't see Band-Aids right. in our skin tone. Right. We didn't see Barbie dolls with our skin tones. I didn't see girls who looked like me mm-hmm. on runways, in stores, yes. on in models. I didn't see any of that. Right. All of those choices were choices. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, those were merchant choices. That's right. Right. And mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, as a kid, you don't know that. You just think, oh, I don't look like the norm. And yeah. the, the impact that that had on my self-esteem, mm-hmm. I now know that those were choices that could have been made differently right. if a merchant had thought about equity exactly. in everything they were doing. And exactly. so in my role, you know, I started out 11 years ago in this in this industry that I didn't realize until I got in, it was so homogenous yes. that the decisions that we were making as not just merchants, right, but as merchants, as marketers, as designers, as production leaders, yeah. as retail leaders, mm-hmm. without diverse voices in the room, you're making d- decisions mm-hmm. that don't have equity in mind. I exactly. mean, my favorite one, I just talked about it when thinking about skin tone with Barbies mm-hmm. and Band-Aids. Right. But my favorite example is when you're sitting in a room and you're deciding the colors for the season. You're yes. picking the clothes. You don't just pick the silhouettes. You pick the colors. You pick the colors. And what do you do when you're thinking about a color for yourself? You immediately match that color to your skin tone. Mm-hmm. Imagine if in a room full of people, you only have one skin tone represented. You're going to make decisions that impact anybody who wants to walk into your store. Exactly. 
not thinking about equity. And so a lot of the work that I did, really, I had to come to terms with the fact that we held the power. We had Mm -hmm. a responsibility as an industry to be able to think about all people. And now when I think about my purpose in life, it is truly to make sure that everybody, no matter who they are or what they look like, feels good in their clothes because that downstream impact is powerful. It's powerful for me. Yes, It's powerful for anybody who wants to walk into a store and feel seen. Yep. And so the work that I've been able to do at The Gap is really rooted in just that. So I was still a merchant when I started the Color Proud Council, but yes. I just said, honest- now talk to us about Color Proud because I was that was my next direction. Like, Ooh. tell us about some of the work <laughs> you did as a merchant because you Color Proud made an impact. Like, it was not it was not just a gap thing. It was a conversation in the industry. So, can you tell us what that was? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, first of all, I'd like to give all all shout out to my Lord and Savior Rihanna because without Rihanna, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, right. but I'm part of the Beehive. But without Rihanna right. now, right. Rihanna changed the industry for the better. Yeah, right. When she came out with Fenty Beauty, when she came out with Savage by Fenty, mm-hmm. she flipped the industry on its head. Where industry titans were all of a sudden saying, "Oh, wait a minute, yeah, a full range of skin tones, a right. full range of sizes. Right. That's the norm." Which is mind blowing that that was like in my lifetime. Like people have been coming in different colors forever. Forever. Again, (laughs) I'm like the band-aids. I think about the band-aids. It's forever. Exactly. But in what was that? 2014, 2015, 2016. I mean, it hasn't been that long since she launched her products, but she turned the industry on its head because people felt seen. That's the core of what she did. Mm -hmm. That was really the core of Color Proud. Diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, however many words you want to add to that. Right. Right. However many letters you want to add to that acronym, right? We like to add. We like to add. (laughs) A lot of that work people assume is rooted in just people, Mm -hmm. just the HR, just Mm -hmm. hiring and mobility. And that's the core of it. But if you're really going to be a diversity, equity, and inclusion leader, you need to get into the heart of the business. You need to be a student of the business. That's right. And you need to be able to understand what you are trying to make more equitable as you go. What's the end result? Yeah. And for mine, it's always been close. Yes. And so thinking about the Color Proud Council, I said, okay, we got to not just bring diversity into the HR function. We need to bring diversity to the bottom line of our business. Right. So that means these garments. The product. The yeah, product. Exactly. So as a merchant, that's what I did. I said, all right, we're going to have two, a twofold focus with the Color Proud Council. We are, one, going to think about product education and pipeline. So mm-hmm. how are we training our teams to make product end-to-end? Yep. And then what is that pipeline? So I always say there's a process in doing this. It's yep. from first sketch all the way to in-store and online until Mm -hmm. it gets into the customer's hands. How are we looking at every single stage of the pipeline and ensuring that we are designing with inclusion in mind, period. But then that second part, right, is making sure that there's a talent play here. Mm -hmm. Who is in the room? when they are thinking about making these clothes, bringing these clothes to life? And are they empowered Mm -hmm. to be able to bring their voice to the table? And that's twofold, right? People think it's just, I got to be in the room. Yes, it's not just that part. It's not just that. I've been in the room for years. Yes. But only recently did I feel empowered to speak the way I'm speaking to you now. Mm -hmm. And that is what was rooted in the Color Proud Council. So the fact that we were able to bring together across all of our brand families, merchants, designers, marketers, store leaders, and really the catalyst was... How would you design with inclusion in mind? How right. would you design differently? Right. And you know, when you give people a little bit, all you got to do is give them a little bit of empowerment and they just run with a little. child. They we just, just need, need to know we little. can. We just need to know we can. Yeah. And I sure. had leaders on my teams who were able to start sketching models in different skin tones. Yes. So imagine you walk in on a design trend Ooh, board and I you see brown idea. models, right? right? You think differently about how you're going to assort your line. Exactly. You see trend boards that are typically just, you know, one skin tone or one shape. You're not thinking about all the potential customers that could walk into your stores. Exactly. That was what Color Proud was meant to do. It was meant to say, if you're really thinking about inclusion, you're thinking about it in the clothes you make and sell. Yeah. And I love that we use the word proud. Proud. I love it. You know who came up with that name, right? No. 
Keisha Monica. Of course. Somebody that we know and love <laughs> dearly. Keisha somebody... is like career changing. Keisha is career changing. Yes. She saw something in me in that moment. I was still a merchant right. when I founded Color Proud. This was at the end of 2017, early 2018. I remember. I was still, that's where I, I met remember. you. Yes, exactly. I was still a merchant just trying to make this little engine that could move. <laughs> yes. uh, and Keisha one meeting with her and she came up with the name. And yes. in addition, I wouldn't have met her without sponsorship. And I know we're probably going to talk about that a little later, the power of sponsorship, yes. especially when you're a brown woman in a corporate space, you need yes. sponsors to not only support you, but move out yes. of the way and get other people out of the way. Absolutely. And between Keisha, Keisha Monica, did that. Keisha did that. <laughs> she did that. Mark Breitbart, who's the president yes. and CEO of yes. Gap Brand, Mark did that. that. Yes. Michelle Nyrep, who was formerly with yes. Gap Inc. She absolutely did, did that. that. Yes. It's all these people who saw something me. Color Proud absolutely was a vision. It caught on because other people had had it and they just needed it to be unlocked. Yes. And then leaders who saw something in me and it really invested in me to lead it. Job. Mm -hmm. Game changer. That's Impactful. privilege. Right. So I would, in a word, and I'm sure in just, you know, our opening conversation, people can probably tell, <laughs> I would describe you as strategic. Mm. I think that you are very thoughtful about how you coordinate getting the right voices together getting the right people in the room, pulling in the right ideas. It's something I've watched you do since I met you <laughs> in 2017. So I really feel like I would love for you to just kind of share about the importance of bringing a strategic mindset to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Ooh, I love this question because I think it's one that people underestimate. Yes. Again, I think when people hear diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, they immediately think it's all about the feels. And That's believe right. you me, I've cried more in doing this work um, than I ever yes. have in my life. So it is emotional because it's personal, yeah. but how you actually tap in and make impact is by being strategic. Mm -hmm. And there's this phrase that I'm sure you have heard in your lifetime, which <laughs> is that they itching to catch you slipping. That's right. When people they don't- are itching they to catch you slipping. itching to That's catch true. you slipping. And yes. when you don't have a strategic mindset and how you're moving work you gonna get through an organization, slipping. you're gonna get caught slipping. And you also know that there is something that we have all been raised with, with that you got to work twice as hard. Hard to get half as much. Listen, you mm -hmm. already, you already see, you listen, already know. This listen. is, we, we, do, we, we knew we were going to do real talk today. We got the culture. We got the, the culture, culture this right? Is real talk. This, this is real talk. This is real talk. This is real talk. Yes. But we knew, we know these things, right? right? So when you're moving something new through an organization mm -hmm. and people don't recognize it, one of the biggest lessons I learned early on is that you have to make them feel That's right. like you know their business as well, if not better. Mm -hmm. than they do because mm -hmm. you can't break a system if you don't know the system to begin with That's right? right you got to know the system again i always say you have to be a student of the business especially in this work because your job is to make people see themselves that's right in your work that's right and so a lot of my strategy first sits with i go into a room and i listen that's right i listen i try there's to a lot understand. of power in that that's also a keisha tip like yes. keisha would say that like okay i'm here i'm just listening right um i do think that there's a lot of strategy in listening and there's also a lot of strategy in being thoughtful about how you position information so yes. to your point i need to see myself but not only do i need to see myself i need to be bought in because likely I need your budget if I am leading part Hello. of, you know, the equality and belonging team. I need you to be bought in enough to say, this is worth my spend. Yes. And so that takes strategy because we all know budget dollars in any organization, you know, 
they're hard to come by. It's like Houdini here today, gone tomorrow. Exactly, right? <laughs> Somebody else come up with a great idea. They're like, well, we're going to take a little of your budget and send it over to that, right? And yes. so I do think that like just watching you over the years be thoughtful about strategy, be tactical and skillful about how to put people together, how to put ideas in front of them has really, really made an impact in your career. So I wanted you to tell us why it was important. And I, and I do think it's underestimated to your point that we think it is often just having a working knowledge of what you know these words mean. Right. And in reality, it's it's making sure that you can translate that to people so that they can have the buy in. So I I love that you shared that. So let me let me ask you this question. And this is like probably my favorite question that I have for you. Okay, What do you think gets in the way? So, I mean, like, as I mentioned, you know, we've got this DEI is dying energy. We have, you know, lots of commitments that were previously made. You know, once George Floyd happened, people panicked. We had a lot of dollars and movement and noise and behaviors. And now people are pulling that back. There's a very contentious political climate, which I'd argue has been the case for a very long time at this point. And so it's like, it feels like people are still hesitant. Mm. What do you think gets in the way of people taking meaningful action? Fear. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. first thing that comes to mind is fear mm-hmm. and probably not in the way that most people think. Right. I'm scared of. Yeah. Right. I'm scared of something I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yes. But this is, I think, fear of failure. Oh, yeah. You have a lot of leaders who were able to lead throughout their careers mm-hmm. without thinking about diversity, equity and inclusion as a key part of their winning strategy. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden someone is telling them that without this key piece, they're yeah. not going to be able to lead effectively now or in the future. Right. That is scary right. for people. Right. And it takes really humble, really growth mindset based leaders yeah. to move through that fear. Because without that, mm-hmm. they're barriers to their own success and they're absolutely barriers for growth for their organization. Yeah. What do you think is the thing that gets, you know, we ha- we see a little bit of this acting and speaking inconsistently. Mm. So people are saying the thing, but they're not necessarily doing the thing. Is it church today? I mean, <laughs> We said we were going to have real talk. I mean, yeah, so you know, we're real talking. Yeah. Let's yeah, go ahead. Let's I go mean, ahead. so so what what do you think that's about? Like why do you think that that leaders are willing to lean in and say the things, but then the action isn't showing up? I think it's because people are human, right? Mm. Everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to be trusted. That's just yes. natural human behavior. Mm-hmm. But again, when you're in this elevated seat, people all often believe that they need to say the thing first. Yeah. And that the doing the thing will come later. That's right. But here's the thing with this work. Again, I, I think about yeah. Gen Z who has absolutely no time okay. for all of us no time. to get our stuff together. That's They're it. like, I'm not going to walk into an organization that doesn't show me yeah. me. I'm not going to walk into anything new where yes. I don't feel like I belong. And I love that energy yes. because while, you know, us millennials may have like thought about it, mm-hmm. they're demanding it. That's right. Right. And so for leaders to just get up there and talk, we're immediately looking for action That's right. on the back end. And again, I think fear of failure doesn't allow people to do that. And yeah. instead they actually look for the quick fix. What I think, think about this often, the quick yeah, fix. Listen, I've, I've talked about the quick fix with some <laughs> other guests for sure. What What do you think we need to encourage people to take action? Now, I, you know, I have some very strong opinions about this, <laughs> but I would like to hear your opinions about what you think we need to, to take action. But before you answer that, I do want to just kind of go back to something you said about Gen Z. Yeah. I have a young lady that's on my team that's a Gen Z person, mm. and she's directly said to me, I am not working in any corporation ever. I don't see myself. I don't feel like they care. So like, I do think that the imperative is going to become increasingly urgent because we are also seeing the biggest wealth transfer. 
So yes. these young folks don't have to work the same way we no. had to work. No. And so what's happening is they get to make different decisions that could potentially put us in a talent crisis because mm. folks don't want to work in organizations. And so I wanted to make sure I circled back and talked about that because it's not just a rumor. I'm actually having the experience in my own organization. She's flat out told me like, nope, you're the closest I'll ever get to corporate. And that's because I work with corporations. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. And if you happen to also be looking for tools to help you navigate tough conversations, to be able to show up as a more impactful ally, or just to have resources about how to navigate equity in your world, I've written two books. My first book is called Allies and Advocates. And this book is really focused on helping you show up as a more impactful ally. It has actual tactics and tips and things that you can practice to help you get there, both for yourself and for others. My second book is called Say More About That. Now Say More About That is more about helping you to speak up, to push back, to challenge, to be able to have those conversations that sometimes get a little bit difficult. And in fact, I've given you actual scripts to help you to be able to do that. So if you're interested in just having a few extra resources in your pocket to be able to help you to navigate any of those things. You can go pick up those books anywhere where you buy books, or you can pop down into the show notes and click the links and buy them there. Back to the episode. Well, again, I think that, I mean, that takes courage, Mm -hmm. right? And probably a bit of privilege to be able to say and do that, but that's, that's the kind of courage that we need. It is action. It's taking action. It's the action. it, it, It leads me back to my question, which is what do you think we need to do to encourage leaders to take action? This is going to sound a little spicy, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Let's hear it. I think in order to make make the current group of leaders, right, the current VPs, yep. SVPs, presidents, whatever, right. take action, we need to hit them in their wallets. I agree. You need to hit them in their wallets, I right? Agree. No, there's no bigger motivator than money. And I know that probably isn't what you would typically hear when talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. But in order for people to really shift their behavior, you have to shift something that they care about. I think that's it. Right? And so a lot of people are now talking about how we not only embed goals around diversity into yearly goals or fiscal year strategies. Right. You need to then penalize people when they don't hit what you've told them they should do. And there are some organizations that do that. Yeah. There are some. And so it's it's not common because the thing that we run into is, well, how do we measure? And you know, what should really be the goal? And there are other economic impacts, but I think ultimately putting it in the pockets is the way we get a lot of things done. It's honestly how some of the laws in this country change, right? So, I mean, you know, we live in a capitalistic society, regardless of how you might feel about that. At the end of the day, if I want to see something move, I need to think about where the money, where the money's going. Yes. And honestly, Amber, this may sound again, a bit spicy, but people need to just do it. That's it. Again, I've been working in the industry for over 10 years. I have watched people make game-changing million-dollar decisions based on something they see come down the runway. Mm -hmm. Somebody determined back in 2016 that ruffles were the thing. Oh, yeah. There was no data outside of what people saw on the runway. They just saw a whole lot of ruffles. And industry, the industry said, we are going to go ruffle mania. Some of our brands decided that ruffles were the thing. Some people just make decisions. That's right. Somebody just made a decision that that was going to be the thing. Yep. We have more data than Rufflegate. Way, more, way data. more data than way Rufflegate. More data. Yes, way more data than Cerulean still, Blue. <laughs> yes, come on, Miranda Priestley. Right. Like we have more data than that. Yes, but people don't just take action. So yes. outside of just hitting them in their wallets, if you want to say you're a leader mm-hmm. in this day and age and go forward, you need to just take action from the seat that you have. Absolutely. There is a burden of leadership that people don't talk about enough, and the burden is rooted in being in a seat and having the courage mm-hmm. to make decisions that drive impact. Absolutely. So you got to be courageous yeah, with them dollars. You have too. a responsibility. <laughs> yes. Yes. The responsibility. I, I do think sometimes what happens with leaders is that they get disconnected from 
the idea that they are serving the community. Yes. And so when you look at the community, if you're not seeing that reflected in your stores, if you're not seeing that reflected in how you're hiring, yes. then automatically you should be thinking about what is this going to do to my dollars? And I don't yes. think that that's happening. I don't know that there's enough conversation about how all of these parts are connected. And so when I think about the things that we can do that could be impactful or that can encourage leaders to take action, I think it's highlighting the, the business failures that we know exist. I think it's being reminded of, you know, some of the brands that we know and love, and I will not, you know, call out any names at this moment who have struggled with finances yes. and had to make a shift very often that included, how am I being more equitable? How am I being more inclusive? How am I bringing in more ideas that the community is interested in? And then you suddenly start to see a shift, right? And so yes. I, I think it's that. And I don't think that there's enough discussion about the case studies. I think there's too much discussion on an insular perspective. Like we're yes. looking at ourselves. And I also, and you know, I, I have this opinion about, you know, uh, the organization that you work for and we, we've been very honest, so I can say this, Yes, but you know, I think a lot of times organizations build and abandon great ideas. Oh, the build and abandon. Listen, you know, I've been stealing that since we've talked about true. it, the build and abandon. It is yeah. true. You have this fantastic thing. It rolls out, it hits, but it hits later than when you're watching. Yes. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's not working. And now it's gone. I really also feel like we have to have the expectation that having a mindset of equality and belonging takes time. So are we going to invest the time? If it doesn't show up this quarter, am I willing to give it the run for the next, you know, 18 months, right? And yes. see what happens because folks got to get the word out. People got to yes. get their dollars together. We're talking about buying products. Like things take time. And people and so have to trust you. People it takes to time to build trust. You. It takes time Absolutely. to build trust in a relationship. It takes Absolutely. time to build trust with a partnership. Yes. And it definitely, all of these things, customer relationships, they have to trust you. That's right. If you have never shown them a brown skin shoe. Exactly. Brown skin undergarments, right? You've never yes. shown them things in your skin tone. Do you think immediately they're going to be like, I'm now going to switch all my buying power exactly. to you. If you've never shown them plus size clothing that's right which is actually regular size clothing because you know my you know my battle cry here Listen, if the same. average size woman is a size 16 what is plus about 16 same. 18 20 i'm currently but. wearing a size 16 pant by the way which you know i just wanted to highlight i did have to order online and that alone mm -hmm. right like once you find that brand yeah. that you trust yeah you're going to shop there often but that's you can't it. immediately expect in one no. quarter for that trust to come we don't exactly. do that with Anything. Anything. <laughs> anything, anything, and even in business, we don't do that with our normal business yeah, model. Exactly, we would never say, you know what, we just launched a white tea. It didn't perform in the first quarter, so we're never going to sell white teas exactly. again. Exactly. No, you know what you do when you launch a product doesn't give you expectations up front. You take the time. Yep. You study that product. Right. You ask customer questions. That's right. You dive into the field and you exactly. say, where am I? What am I? Exactly. What am I doing with this product that's not working? Exactly. Talk to me about the feedback. You take the time. You do mm -hmm. not abandon a white tea. Right. Okay. Right. You De you dive in because to see we what you know need to do. we know the white tea is gonna sell. You know it's gonna <laughs> sell. You just gotta figure sell. out what you, what you yes. need to do differently exactly. to make that exactly. sell. That's so, that personal accountability. Yes, yes, exactly. So I I I really feel like that's one of the biggest shifts that needs to happen. It's just this this willingness to commit, this willingness to really evaluate the data, the willingness to look at the industry, not just yes. at yourself. I feel like a lot of that would help to make you know some of the behaviors that we see shift. And you know it's it's tough. And so speaking of tough my next question is if there were one thing you could wave baja's magic wand mm. across all of the people of the land that you could make sure they understood about equality and belonging what would that one thing be 
my one thing mm-hmm. would be that it is a necessity. Yes. And I know that sounds really simple, mm-hmm. but it's necessary. Yeah. To lead with this again, not just because of Gen Z, you know, nipping at our heels, right? But because everything is better with equity in mind. That's it's right. not an add-on. Mm-mm. It's not a let me figure out my strategy and then add a little sprinkle of fairy dust of equity on top. That's it. It is equi- <laughs> the best decisions in our lifetime mm-hmm. have been made with equity at the for- at the forefront. Again, yeah. I think about a Fenty Beauty or a Savage by Fenty because her whole business model, right? Her entire thesis statement, if you will, yeah. is around making everyone feel seen. That's right. And she has kicked everybody's ass. Everybody. <laughs> in the, in, in, everybody's in, in ass. In her respective industry. And she shut down Victoria's Secret's fashion literally, show. Right? You changed everyone's direction. Yeah. And think about that. Like, it's like, you know, how long were you looking for nude shoes that fit your nude? Hello. Right? How long were you looking for bandages, to your point, in your skin tone? How long? In fact, with the bandages, I don't even know that people knew that bandages were supposed to match your skin in some cases, right? I didn't as a kid. Exactly. I thought they were all tan. They're all tan. They're all tan just because that's, that's the color of ba- That's the band-aid that's color. Just I the would band-aid literally say color. band-aid color. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then you fast forward and you start to realize like, oh, no, this was the, the tone that they thought people were. Yes. Right? This is what we were doing intentionally. And so I, I I, really, really think we undervalue exactly that. But that, again, goes back to, are you looking around? Yes. Are you paying attention to what's happening outside? Yes. Because she did come in and rattled everybody's balls. Like, yes, okay, yes. let's get it Wake moving, up. right? Yes. But you absolutely. know, the other thing I would add, if I can, is that not that just it's necessary. Mm-hmm. It's necessary and should be everybody's problem to solve. It is. It's it only, is everybody's problem. It's everyone's problem to solve. I think often, I'm sure you've talked to a number of DEI leaders mm-hmm. whose teams are small. That's right. Whose teams are predominantly people whose of budgets color. budgets are small. Whose budgets are small, right? If you think about the size of most of these teams compared to the organization they're trying to impact, there is no way that a team with this small a numerator is going to mm-hmm. make an impact on a denominator this big, that's right. right? There is and no strategy for that. There's it no strategy for that. The only thing that's going to make that shift, that seismic shift, yeah. is making sure that everyone has shared accountability in the work. And even that's for it. our organization, even for GAP this year, there are two words that we keep in mind for everybody. One is allyship, mm-hmm. which... Come on, allyship, yes, right? You've yes, taken a lot of time yes. to I teach our work hard with the allyship. Listen. Literally, that was the basis of, I think, of our initial strategy yes. in 2020 is thinking about allyship. Because mm. the reality is, even with our commitments, even if we hit them in 20, by 2025, yep. our company is still going to have a certain majority. That's right. So allyship is going to be what's keeping the ship afloat. That's right. But the second word there is shared accountability. Mm-hmm. Because again, by just saying, oh my God, we're going to open the door for the DEI team, yes. for the equality and belonging team. We're going to no. make sure that you have a seat at the table. No. No. I'm going to take my seat now. Right. I'm going to sit at but it. But I can't sit probably. at every table. I can't sit at every table. Yes. And if I'm not at this table because I'm busy sitting at this one, I need you to be able to That's uphold right. the seat for me. That's right. I need you to be able to use your yes. privilege and your power and your impact and your title mm-hmm. to uphold everything that we've taught you. That's right. So that people can see not only us as a beacon for driving inclusion, but they they need to see you. Exactly. They need to see you as leaders in your seat upholding yes. the words around yes. belonging. That's right. that shared accountability. So those are the two things that I would say. One, that is necessary. Yep. And two, that it is everybody's problem. It's everybody's problem. Hey there. I hope you're enjoying the episode. And in fact, if you are, you can bring me to your organization or event to help you bring conversations like this to life in your workspace.
spaces. This is something I do for a living. I do coaching, I do training, I do executive consulting, whatever it is that you might need as it relates to trying to figure out how to activate allyship or equity in your space. It's probably something I can support. So if you're interested in how we can work together, you can reach out to me at cabralco.com or pop down into the show notes and click the link, book a discovery call, and we will chat with you soon. Back to the show. I also would extend that beyond just corporate. Yes. I think that the experience of equity, the experience of belonging, the experience of having access to the size you need, the color you need, all of that, that extends beyond the workplace. It's not just a job thing. It is literally thinking about when you are going to shop for yourself, when you're going to shop for a friend or a family member, when you are thinking about what is going to make these young people feel good, the cute little babies that we love to, you know, keep creating. Thank goodness for all of them in my life. Right. (laughs) And so it's like, it's so odd sometimes to me, how little consideration we give to the depth and breadth of our uniqueness, but we want to sell people stuff. And I'm like, why wouldn't you want to think about me? Why wouldn't you want to put the effort in to consider, right? I really think that it has to be not just, it's not everyone's responsibility in this organization. I mean, that it is everyone's responsibility in this organization. It also is everyone's responsibility, like across the board. And there is a space where you're sitting in your life somewhere that you have the opportunity to shape an experience that someone is having as a result of some aspect of their identity. And so the more we see that, the less that this is seen as like, oh, do you have a DEI department? How big is it? How many people? Oh, how many people are they supporting? Oh, how'd y'all do that? I'd love to benchmark that because we only have. And and I think those conversations are too common because it's like, well, that's not the way we address it. That's not the solve. And so, yeah, I I, I love your answers. I think I would probably... um, have have said the same thing if someone had asked me. Like, those are the great obstacles, if we're being honest, you know? And I wish people talked about them more. Yeah. I think even when I read reports, right, you read every year a company comes out with a report. Somebody does it. And it just looks like the biggest pat on the back. It does. But what I want to know is who put their blood, sweat, tears, effort into that report. I want to know the mistakes. I want to know where you struggled. I want to know what you did about those struggles. Because I think right now we are, to your point, really focused on highlighting and patting on the back. So we'll strategically word things. Yes. But when you get to the numbers, they're the same. You know, there's a lot of that that happens across lots of organizations that I support, you know, yes. some some that I support. So it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of wanting to be seen doing the work. Yes. And not doing it for real, not yes. being accountable, like you just said. Yes. I almost wish we could do like report behind the scenes videos mm-hmm. again to see who's all part of that process. Because yes. typically you go to the people when you're building a report. We've done reports for years now, right? But mm-hmm. you go to the people in the organization who can help not just speak to the work that they saw you do, yep. but the work that they've done alongside you. Yes. And so I wish we could see that because that's the real. Absolutely. And that's and that's what people stay at organizations Absolutely. for. And like, look at your challenges. You got to look at the stuff you struggled with. Because that'll tell you where you can make some of your, oftentimes, some of your easiest opportunities rest in the things that you didn't do great. And so it's worth taking a look at that stuff. But, you know, we like to get to the best next thing, you know. Again, people are fear to fear or have a fear, excuse me, 
Again, people are afraid of failing. They have a fear of failure, so they don't even try. That's it. I'm guilty. I have had a fear of failure. Oh, me too. Me too. I like to be cute and perfect. That's right. (laughs) I like to be cute and perfect. I could not have said that better. That's it. Exactly. Yes, right? I'd be like, we're human. I'm not saying it's bad to operate like that. I just don't think you and I in our spaces and places have the privilege to be cute and perfect during this work. We don't. And the work isn't cute or perfect. No, I got to be gritty and nasty. People have seen me cry when they didn't think I had tear ducts, right? Right. like it wasn't cute <laughs> it's not but that was more impactful than me sitting here smiling and making it look good for exactly. you or easy for you to do this exactly. in my skin no exactly. you need to see me get a little nasty before you actually saw the work and what it took exactly so i'm glad you mentioned your skin because we're going to talk a little bit about that Ooh, i love chocolate that's right so listen <laughs> I um I saw you post recently that you were recognized as being one of 2023's most influential leaders um, by WWD. Yes, ma'am. And I think that is phenomenal. Thank you. And I want to give you your flowers. Thank you. And I want to be very specific because you are a dark-skinned black woman. Honey. Okay. Award-winning. <laughs> you have been a merchant. You have made influential changes in a large, well-recognized organization. Thank you. All right. You are respected and loved by many, including me. All right. Listen, I want you to hear from my mouth to your ears that you are phenomenal. You are outstanding and you've done some amazing things in your career. And we have a lot more time from you. You're going to make me cry. They're filming this. Okay, good. (laughs) It's okay. We had a crier already. You'll be the second. It's okay. So I want to make sure that you understand the value, but I also want to hear from you. Why do you think it's important that you, with all the characteristics I listed and more, why is it important that we see you in that place? Why do we need to see you as an inspirational leader? Oh, you're not going to feel guilty about this privilege. Come on. Listen, I was going to say, Amber, this is this is a podcast called Guilty Privilege. Mm -hmm. And so I need to be very honest that I am so privileged in so many ways. Yeah. Right. Like I. I don't think people look at me on the street and they recognize all the privileges that I have. Mm -hmm. And I I have no problem rattling them off here because I think people need to know all of what it took to get me here with those list of accolades. Right. I mean, let's be, let's think about it. I'm a tall, Mm -hmm. dark skinned woman with a name that most people can't pronounce. Baja Johnson. Baja. It's not Baja. It's not hard. It's unpracticed. Practice it. Right. You look at me, you hear me, you see my name on a piece of paper, You don't think that that's somebody who has privilege, Mm. but let me tell you, I have a whole lot of them. I have two incredible parents, two incredible parents who have an education, Mm -hmm. who were raised to have an education, who worked in corporate spaces. So by the time that I entered my corporate space, I had two incredible teachers to not only give me the insight into what I was going to face, Mm -hmm. but to teach me to lift my head up high, shoulders back and down and hit them with a smile. That's right. Because I had every right to be there. Exactly. They raised me to go to the best schools. I lived in the best neighborhoods. I was one of the few people who looked like me in said school and neighborhoods, but that was intentional. Mm -hmm. My dad used to always say to me, listen, I want you to be so incredibly proud of being a black woman, being a dark skinned black woman, but it is a white world. That's right. And I need you to be able to be tenacious and fearless and know that you deserve to be in that white world. Imagine mm-hmm. being told that as a kid and you're like, but dad, right. everyone just loves me, I'm Baja. <laughs> exactly. And he's like, they love you now in this little bubble. That's right. They will not love you when you enter right. the world. That you when will the cute be wears off. When the cute when wears off. When you gotta off, work for the cute. <laughs> they will underestimate yes. you when you walk into mm-hmm. that world. You know, I once got pulled over by a cop and he asked me to pull into my private high school's parking lot. Mm. Pull, pull into this space right here. I had the sticker to my high school wow. in the car window. 
Wow. And I, I, he thought I was following him too closely. It was a bullshit ticket. Wow. I know now it was a bullshit ticket. But at the time, I don't even think I realized, like, I'm like, I'm just driving this cute little BMW and I'm pulling in and I'm rolling through this, you know, this, this county. And immediately... Mm my privilege didn't matter because right. what I look like took precedent. Yes. That's why talking about privilege, I think is so important. Honestly, Amber, I can't tell you how many people when I walk into a room and start speaking, yeah. whether it was in college for the first time I stepped, hopped out of my bubble, mm -hmm. whether it was when I started my career, who looked at me and said, oh my God, you are just so articulate. Yes. What they meant to say was, I didn't expect this little brown girl to come in here talking like this. That's it. Right? Yeah. But that was by design. I have right. two incredible little sisters. One is a doctor. Yes. One works for the World Health Organization. I love it. And people ask our parents all the time, what did you do? What, how did you, are you so proud of your girls? And again, both parents sit here and say, oh, this was by design. We planned this. We planned this. Mm -hmm. There is no reason why we were given all of this privilege and all of this access and all of this goodness if we weren't going to do something with it. Right. That's the difference between, I think, privilege, guilty privilege, and walking in your privilege. Yes. I walk in my privilege because I realize that I was fortunate and if I didn't do something with all of this privilege, mm -hmm. it would be a slap in the face to every single person before me who didn't have as much. I love that. And I walk in it now mm -hmm. because I want people to see what it could look like That's when right. you invest, when you have That's privilege. Right. But I also remind people that I am the exception. I am not the rule. You are not the rule. So do not expect every single black person who walks into our organization to look like me, act like me, maneuver like me. Because honey, right. this is practiced. That's right. This is so practiced. And it's for survival. It's for survival. Some of it is God-given. I love being, I love people. That's right. And so a lot of what <laughs> I think I've been able to do in the world is also rooted in the fact that I am deeply empathetic. Yes. And I love learning from yes. people. Right. That is that that's the God given yeah, part that I would never mm -hmm. that I would never deny. But being able to have privilege to drive with that God given part, to be able to speak yeah. to people, hear from people, have them trust and believe in me. Mm -hmm. That is privilege. And I will never feel guilty about it because I've done something with it. Listen. So my last question <laughs> was gonna be <laughs> what is one privilege you refuse to feel guilty about? But you've All already of done it. <laughs> I refuse to feel guilty I, about all of them listen. because they are a gift listen. and I did something with it. Again, there are a whole lot of people out here who don't utilize their privileges right. for good mm -hmm. and they don't recognize the power that they have. Yeah. I recognize it every single day. Yeah. And you use I, it. And I use you it and use I make it. choices and I talk about it. Yes. And I make sure that it's not only people who have privileges like me that get to have a seat at the table. That's right. So since you kind of stole my last question. I'm sorry. I got another question I'm going to ask you. Okay. Okay. And what I want to zoom in here um, on is, is what you said earlier about sponsorship. Like we know what mentorship is. It's getting guidance from someone. But you have had the fortunate advantage and privilege of being sponsored by some of like, I mean, some amazing and impactful some leaders, changers. right? Some yeah. game changer, well-recognized names and behind the scenes names, right? Oh, wow. You've had the benefit of that. Can you talk to us a little bit about sponsorship, why it's been important for your career and what people can do to try to attract sponsors? Because I do know people are sometimes unsure how to get one and we do our, our best to try to tell people they need to sponsor. Yes. But there's a little bit that you have to do to be attractive to a sponsor too. Yes, well, you know, I have to start out with one of my favorite sponsors. Mm -hmm. Again, we've talked about her, yes. Keisha Monica, yes. a DEI industry leader who has had such a great impact on both of our careers. Yes. She first said to me that she believes that black talent is over mentored and under sponsored. I agree. 
And I never thought about it that way. I always talked about the people who were able to pour into me as mentors. I mm -hmm. always utilized the word mentor. Yes. But when she put that into my head, I was like, talk, you know, tell me more about that. Another right. one of her favorite phrases. Tell mm -hmm. me more about mm -hmm. that. Right. And when she explained to me that mentors teach you how to survive in the environment that you are in, yep. there's a certain way, a mold that you maybe have to fit into. It's guidance mm -hmm. based on their their way of being exactly. or what they've known to be true or how they found success. Yep, their experience. Yeah. Sponsors recognize the light in you. That's right. And they utilize everything in their power to be able to unlock that for you mm -hmm. and create space for you. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's Keisha Modica, who was a sponsor, yes. again, Mark Breitbart, who's been a sponsor, yes. Michelle Nyrup, even some names that you all know in the industry. I think about Brandis Daniel, Brandis Daniel of Harlem's yes. Fashion Row, mm -hmm. who saw a light in me when I just was looking up at her like, you know, a young spring chicken. Like, right. how, we, how did she do this 16 right. now years ago? Exactly. She saw me and continues to pour into me. They sponsor me. Mm -hmm. And I think when people are looking to find a sponsor, you have to look for someone who gives you that good feeling. And mm -hmm. I know it sounds a little hokey pokey, right? But mm -hmm. all of those people, I had the courage to go to them and they gave me a feeling. Yes. You have to bloom where you're planted. That's right. right. We've all heard that phrase as well. You bloom where you are planted. Right. And I had to recognize that their soil was really good soil. That's right. And I think most people have that gut instinct mm -hmm. or this person's going to be here for me or this person's going to challenge me. It might even not even be a good feeling like they love everything I'm saying. Some of those first leaders I met were like asking me questions and challenging me. I couldn't yeah. get a good. We always laugh with Keisha. Yes. I didn't know she liked me or not Listen, when I first met her. <laughs> Keisha has the poker face of the ages. All poker face. You're like, okay. okay, am I going in the right direction or yes. not? Yes. Yes. But she, there was something about her where I was like, she's mm -hmm. listening to mm -hmm. me and she's asking questions because mm -hmm. she's bought in. That's right. Right. Those are the people that are going to invest in you and push you. And when I she speaks, love. you listen. Yes. Because she doesn't say too much. And she doesn't talk too loudly. <laughs> no, either, right? she doesn't. Right. And so for people looking again for those sponsors, don't just say, is somebody going to come in here and tell me that I'm great? That's right. You need some, to look for people who are going to believe in you. And some people showed that differently, but you'll know. Mm -hmm. And then once you have the sponsorship, you need to be able to feel comfortable asking for what you need in it. Yes. All of those leaders I have gone to with very direct, very Request. clear requests, mm -hmm. right? Whether it was for feedback, whether yep. it was to help, again, sponsor by pushing some stuff out hey, the way. Can you get this out the way can for you me? Get this out the way, utilizing your power, yeah. right? That's again where the God given nature comes in communication, being right. able to ask for what I right. needed, right? And being able to do so clearly in a way that people could hear and see and feel a part of. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to do that because sponsors are only going to sponsor you when they know what you need. Yeah. By the way, that's also strategy. I just wanted you to know that. Oh, well, thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you, Queen. You know, yes. we just lean into all the things. <laughs> lean into all, all the things. things. You deserve to do that. Thank you. I want to thank you for coming on to the show today. This has been thank so great. I mean, we could talk for like another 45 minutes, really but I, I also have to, you know, be oh. respectful of the people's time. Well, Amber, <laughs> now you know that this is, this is your podcast. It is. And you're supposed to be asking all the questions uh -huh. and saying all the things. Yes. But I want to make sure I give you your flowers. Oh, you, my. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it because you have had the courage and the strength and the fortitude to build something that before people knew they needed it. And I didn't cry talking about myself, but I'm going to cry talking about oh. you. You had the courage to see in people before they realized they needed to be seen. And you were using your platform cry. every step of the way oh to make sure that people are seen now. And in the future, even when it's really hard. So even you asking me to be on this podcast is a reminder that we ha all have something. Every guest on the show has something worth talking about and worth bringing to the forefront. And that's your gift. So, oh, God. gosh. Queen, queen. Ooh. Okay. You're the queen, queen. 
And I knew I knew I was gonna cry at some point today, but I think it's well and deserved like, oh, to cry. God, <laughs> It's worth a cry <sighs> talking about you. So thank you I appreciate for the time so and the space and the platform to talk my shit. Listen, anytime. <laughs> Come on back anytime. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.